Hey, let me read something for you uh, as we get ready to look into Scripture today. This is written by a woman named Alice Waters. Uh, it says this, This is the power of gathering. It inspires us delightfully to be more hopeful, more joyful, more thoughtful, in a word, more alive. Alice Waters is the owner and chef, I believe, of a restaurant in Berkeley called Chez Panisse. And just by telling you the name of the restaurant tells you that I can't afford to go there and eat, but I hear that it's really good. And she writes this statement about power. We're talking these days in our gatherings about power, and there's all kinds of power. We'll talk about those in a little bit. But she talks about power from a different perspective. She talks about the power of gathering. Now, she's a, she, she's a cook. She's a chef. And so I imagine that when she talks about the power of gathering, she's talking about the power of coming together in her restaurant and that it gives life and, it, and it's hopeful and it's thoughtful and, and those kinds of things. I imagine you can take what she's saying and she would be willing to apply it to a family dinner. Right? Do you have family dinner in your house? You guys over... Oh, you do? Okay, good. I'm just, you know, like there's seven of you, so... I think she would apply it to family gatherings, like to, to gatherings at the dinner table. But I look at it and go, it's about church. And this is what church is, right? This is why we get together on the weekends and we, this is why we sing. This is why we tell stories from God's heart and from God's book, because this is what it does. This is the power of gathering. It inspires us delightfully to be more hopeful, more joyful, more thoughtful in a word, more alive. That's what I think God wants for us when we gather together. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful to you. We love you. We love the fact that you invite us into your family. And here we are sort of at a family table with lots of us around it, a lot, a lot of people in the room. But we're all here for one thing, Lord. We want to meet you. We want to meet with you. We want you to change our hearts and transform us. So we invite you in to do that today. Uh, tell us your story and fill us with your spirit and fill us with hope to live this life you've given to us. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So I want to tell you a story today, okay? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> hey, we're going we're gonna to do interactive today. Right, right. So when I, when I like ask you a question like, okay, then you're going to go, okay. Good. How, you guys okay over here? I, we're going to tell a story today. Okay. Good. Okay. So we're just going to, well, let's play interactive church today. We're all together? Okay. All right. Good. Okay. You can say other things than okay, but that, oh, good. We're all together. Now, I want to tell, I want to tell you a familiar story today. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those David and Goliath stories. You know those? Like, there's a story. Oh, good. Yeah, so good. We're interacting. Thank you. Hang in there. Keep going. So there are these stories called underdog stories. There's lots of kinds of stories in the world and in our literature and and in our shared traditions and things. There are Cinderella stories. There are redemption stories. And there are David and Goliath stories. They're about about the underdog. But we have a, they're so common to us that we have a name for them. We call them David and Goliath stories. So when the little guy goes up against the giant, we call it a David and Goliath story. When mom and pop bookshop goes up against Amazon, what do we call it? 
Be bold. I, was, I coached you on that answer before I, ever, you know, before I asked you. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's a David and Goliath story. When Luke goes up against Darth Vader, what do we call that? Star Wars, right. So, yeah. All right, so you see how the game is played. You maybe. So uh, I want to tell you the David and Goliath story today. I want to tell you the story that started all those other stories, all those underdog stories. I want us to talk together about the David and Goliath story. It's familiar to us, but there are some things that we have to learn from that that are so relevant to us today. So if you, ca- if you have a copy of the Bible with you, uh, this would be a great time to open it up and find 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, if you don't have a paper Bible with you, you've got your smartphone, you can look at the YouVersion Bible app. That's great. Uh, we look at the Bible every weekend because we believe this is God's word to us. We believe it's God's expression of his heart to us and his desires for us. So that's why we come to the Bible as we have these conversations. So First uh, Samuel 17, it's the story of David and Goliath. We're going to read some and talk some and walk our way through this story and see how it relates to us in our generation. First Samuel, excuse me, chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines were gathered, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So the writer has set the stage for us. He goes, this is what's happening. There's a valley called the Valley of Elah. It's a real valley. You can go to Israel today and you can go to the Valley of Elah. It looks sort of like this picture. Not that, this one, this one right here. This is the Valley of Elah. It runs on, a, on sort of an east-west line and we're looking toward the east. When they were at this valley, this is where the battle with the Philistines and the Israelites happened and where David and Goliath happened on the, on the mountain or the hill to the right. That's the southwest hill. That's where the Philistines are. On the, north, on the northeast side, that other hill, that's where the Israelites are. And they're arrayed in battle against one another. So maybe that kind of helps you picture it. it maybe, maybe there's another way to picture it because we're in a room together. And let's just, let's just sort of think about this. Which is the southwest corner of our room? <laughs> yeah, I've got people pointing every direction. It's here. I checked it out. It's here, okay? So this is the Southwest Hill. So today, you are all Philistines. Oh, be happy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, wow, you're... Okay, can you give me a Philistine groan? <laughs> Been practicing. Nice. Okay, you're the Philistines. Thank you. You're not a pirates. No, no, no. I don't know how you do it. You can figure it out. All right, you are the Israelites. Right on. You're the home team over here. So, like, yay. Okay, so when we go, Israelites. Good, you're all in. Okay, make it happen. Make a big noise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord as we go along today when we have those little pieces of the story. All right, pick it up at verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. 
All right, this dude Goliath comes out. Now, you don't have to know what shekels, how much shekels weigh. I, who cares? It's a lot. His, his spear would take me a forklift to carry, much less throw. I don't know how I'd ever throw it. He's six and a half cubits tall. Now, you, you, again, you don't have to know how big six and a half cubits are exactly. Let's just say I would look up to him. Right, so here's a, just so, because some of you are like, I want to know. So here's a cubit. A cubit is measured from the tip of your middle finger to your elbow. For men of normal size, it's 18 inches. If you're, if you're vertically challenged, it's less than that, so, right? Unless you have really long arms. Uh, and a span is from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky when you stretch them out like this. So basically, six and a half cubits tall. He's really tall. He's really big. He's a monster of a man. And he comes out and he taunts the people of Israel. He invites them to come out and have a battle with him. And here's how that taunt goes down in verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Which means whenever they saw Goliath come out, Saul and the people of Israel heard a theme song. And who are you all? That's, okay, that's, a, that's, a, thank you for that. The Israelites lived in fear of Goliath. You ever live in fear? Isn't it interesting how fearful, and we've had this conversation a few times here recently, isn't it interesting how fearful our world is these days? Isn't it interesting how often we live ourselves, we ourselves live in fear these days? We live in fear, we live in dread of the thing that's going to come, we live with terror in all different kinds of ways. If you live in fear, Someone in your life is over-dramatizing or over-emphasizing power. As we talk about these kings of Israel, which is the backdrop of our story, we're talking about power. We're talking about various kinds of power. But if in your life you're living in fear, you're living with fear, someone in your life is over-dramatizing or over-emphasizing power. And it may be someone else, or it may be you. You may be the one, if you have fear in your life, you may be the one who's overemphasizing or over-dramatizing somebody's power. And that's where the Israelites were as they were arrayed in the valley of Elah for this story. Verse 12, I won't read this, but in verse 12, we hear the story, uh, we meet Jesse, and he's got eight sons. He lives in Bethlehem. His three oldest sons have gone to war, and Jesse sometimes sends supplies to his three sons who are out on the battlefront, just to make sure that they're taken care of while they're there. Verse 16, 
For 40 days, the, Philistines came for, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. For 40 days. So here's Goliath. He's on the 40-day challenge. You done the 40-day challenge? Yeah, have you done the 40-day? Some of you? Yeah, 40-day challenge, right? Anybody done the 30-day challenge? 30-day cleanse? Whole 30? 30 days half September? I don't, I don't know. Anybody done the ALS challenge? Remember that a couple years ago? We poured ice water on our head to, to, you know, to emphasize that there's a bad disease. I don't know what all these challenges are about, but here's Goliath. He comes out for 40 days, morning and evening. He's like, I defy the armies of the living God. Send me a champion if you can find one. Verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses and the command, to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So Jesse takes his, younger, his youngest son, youngest of eight. He's out there usually being a shepherd, but he says, I want you to leave the shepherd with some, the sheep with somebody else, and I want you to take this grain and take this bread up to your brothers. Someone's got to take care of your brothers. See, they did battle differently than we do it in our generation. In our generation, if you're in the army, if you're in the American army, and you go out to, to be deployed somewhere, someone's going to feed you. Someone's got, they've created a supply line. They make sure that there's food and there's toilet paper. and There's everything that you need when you're out there. They've got it for you. And still we send extra supplies. And still we have groups like the Blue Star Moms who gather up supplies and, and chocolate bars and everything that, that soldiers might want extra. And they send it to them. Why? To take care of them and to say, we love you. So Saul sends his young son, David. He says, take, take this grain and take these loaves of bread and go see your brothers. And while you, and while you go, take these cheeses. Like, I think Jesse was a foodie. Because who calls them cheeses? Right? I'm like, take some cheese. I would have said, take some cheese. He goes, take these cheeses. I'm picturing there's these, these rounds of cheese. Like, take this to whom? Not to, the, not to the brothers. Take them to the commander of the brothers. Because you got to be in good with the commander because you want him taking care of your sons. When, you, when your unit gets sent to the front lines, you don't want him backing up and leaving your sons at the front because you never send him cheeses. <laughs> Verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. David comes out to his brothers, gives them the bread, gives the, man, the commander the cheeses, asks how everybody's doing, and then Goliath comes out. And he taunts the army of Israel. He taunts the God of the army of Israel. And David watches. He looks around. And all the Israelites are in fear. They're living in terror of this giant. And David knows something is off center. 
Verse 25, now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Which is an odd conversation. I mean, right, the, 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 the people were telling David, you know, if, if someone would take out this giant, the king would make him a rich man and, and he'd exempt his dad from taxes and he'd get to marry the king's daughter. And then David goes, what would happen for a man who would... It's like it's all backwards. And the reason is because David, for whatever reason, David was going around to the different soldiers and the different units and saying, hey, what would happen? What would happen? What would happen? Because he knows that something's off. He can't understand. He can't grasp why the people of Israel who are devoted to the king of the universe are so terrified of, a, of one bad soldier. So he's asking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he keeps going around asking those questions. Verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how, you, how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David keeps asking around, what's going to happen for the person who takes out the giant? Surely somebody from Israel is going to take out the giant. What will happen? And his interest gets reported to the king. Verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David says to the king, David says to King Saul, don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. He goes, don't, don't lose heart. I'll go fight him. If you don't have anybody else who will fight him, I'll fight him. Saul, Saul takes one look at David, who's a young teenager at this point, a boy. He looks at him and goes, you can't do it. You're just a child. Goliath has been fighting since he was a child. You can't do it. David said, I am a sheep tender. I've been out in the field and I got my sheep and a lion comes and he carries off one of the sheep. I go grab the lion and I take the sheep back. When the lion turns on me, I grab it by its hair. I take him out. 
One time a bear came and he took my sheep and I went out and I grabbed the sheep back and the bear turned on me and I grabbed him by his hair. And I took him out. This uncircumcised Philistine is just another animal in that way. And I'm going to take him out. Now Saul is desperate to have somebody from Israel go out and address this giant. And so he says the only thing he can think of to say, go and the Lord be with you. That's us. That's the home team. That's good. It's that it's good. It it's so good because God's going to do something through this young man. He goes, "I'll I'll fight him." This is not what you've been thinking. This is not as bad as you've been, th- you've been fearing. Your fear is unwarranted here. Let's take a time out for a second in the story. The story of David and Goliath happened a thousand years before Christ. So do the math. It happened 3,000 years ago. 500 years after David and Goliath, God sent a prophet to his people Israel prophet's name was Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, he's got a book in the Bible. It's, it's named after him. It's the book of Zechariah. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. And it's a book that we often don't want to look at because it's full of symbols and metaphors, and we don't know where things connect. And you're like, oh, I scratch my head when I read the book of Zechariah. So we sort of skip over it. But in the book of Zechariah, there's this statement of prophecy in chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. I'm not going to read you the whole thing, and I'm not going to try and explain all the metaphors, but listen to this. He's talking to Zerubbabel, which was the name of the governor in Jerusalem, after the people of Israel had been taken captive and now brought back to their city. He says this, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. He says, when you get into a situation where fear reigns, where fear is dominant, where fear is wiping you out, know this, it is not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And he goes on to describe this with some metaphors. He says in the next verse, verse 7, he says, what are you, mighty mountain? Now, again, there's a lot of ways that people understand this or or think, well, this might be what he's talking about, but I think it's this. Zerubbabel is rebuilding God's temple. It had been destroyed 70 years earlier. And now he's rebuilding this temple, and it's a big project. It's a big mountain. There's enemies who are trying to oppose this temple being rebuilt. And so it's this big mountain in his life. And the prophet Zechariah says, what are you, big mountain? What are you, great mountain? You ever have a mountain ahead of you in life? You ever ever have something that you face and you go, this is too big. Can't get over it. Can't go around it. Can't get under it. There's a song in there somewhere. You ever have a mountain like that? He goes, what are you, mighty mountain? And then a couple of Verses down in verse 10, he says this, And who dares despise the day of small things? Sometimes we look at our lives, and especially when we're facing the mountain, 
But even sometimes it's just how we go through our lives. Sometimes we go through our lives and we look, we look at our own life and we go, it's just small. I don't dream big dreams. I don't make big plans. I don't accomplish big events. I'm just living a one solitary little life. And I don't make a difference in the world. And I look around and I see people doing amazing things and I don't make a difference in the world. And the prophet Zechariah says, we may be despising small things. Put all of this together and get this. God says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And what are you, mighty mountain? And who despises the day of small things? Where are you in that story? See, whenever you open the pages of the Bible, you're in the story. You can't not be in the story. Do you have a mountain that you have to face? I don't know what it could be. could be anything. But to you, it looks too big to conquer, too big to get over. Or do you look at your life and you go, my life's just small. My life's just insignificant. My life doesn't really matter. God says both those perspectives are inaccurate. And whatever your, whatever your thing is, whether your life is too small or your mountain is too big, it won't take power or might to change it. It will take God's spirit to change it. Verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of honor of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, Saul's really excited that David's going to do it. David's just a young pup, but he's pretty excited. He's got somebody to go out against the giant, but he goes somewhere. He's got to have armor. He's a shepherd. He didn't come with any armor. He just came to bring cheeses, and so he didn't bring anything with him. So Saul says, take my armor. You, you can wear my armor. He gives him a bronze helmet, you know, gives him a chest protector, shin guards, gives him a shield. He's got all the stuff. He puts it on David. David walks around a little bit. He goes, he goes very diplomatically. He says, I'm sorry, I can't go out to battle in these. I haven't tested them out, your majesty. And I'm like, nuh-uh, that's not the story. That's just David being polite to the king. Do you remember when we met King Saul about a month ago in our journey here? Remember, if you were with us, we talked about Saul. When they, when they first saw this man that God wanted to anoint as the first king of Israel, remember, he was head and shoulders taller than everybody in the nation. He was a man I look up to. He's like, yeah, that, that's but everybody looked up to him. Now, what, what, what size armor do you think Saul wore? It's big. It's the biggest armor in the country. And, and listen to this. If the battle was to be won by might or by power, Saul was the one who should be the first candidate nominated to go down to the valley floor and confront the giant. He's the one who had all the power. He's the most powerful person in the country. 
But he takes his armor, which is six sizes too big for David, puts it on and goes, now get out there. <laughs> David just politely goes, well, I, I, really, can't, I really can't wear this because I haven't tested it out. Translated reads, I can't walk in it. Verse 40, then David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David David grabs some, some stones, some smooth stones. He's got sticks and stones going up against the giant. And he's coming out to the giant. He's got his stick. He's got his stones. He's got his sling. He's coming out to the giant. And they're closing the gap from where, they, from where the Philistines were to where the Israelites were. They're closing the gap. And as Goliath looks at this soldier who's coming across him, he realizes he's got no armor on. And the closer he gets, the more he realizes he's, he, he's just a boy. He's just a child. In fact, he's, he's handsome, which means he's not been in battles before. Goliath has been fought in so many battles since he was a youth. Goliath is marred up and ugly. No offense. No. You, no offense to you. <laughs> He looks at David and he's like, it's almost, it's like David, you know, when you're describing this young guy, you, you, you almost want to say, well, he's cute. And Goliath ticked off. He's like, what are you doing? You come at me with sticks. You're sending a child out to me. And he's highly offended. He curses David and he curses Israel by the name of his own gods. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all into our hands. David had been reading Zechariah 500 years before it was written. He said, it's not by sword, it's not by spear that the battle is won. It's by God. That's how the battle is won. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And David got it. And David confronted Goliath because he said, I, I, I know you and I know my God. And there is no contest in what's about to happen. David knows who his God is. And David knows that his God is not known through human power. It doesn't matter how strong you are as a human being. It doesn't matter how much power you have in your life. You cannot get to know God through human power.
And there are all kinds of power in the world. Just in the story, there are several kinds of power being exerted. There's martial power. The power to make war. It's the power of nations. Nations carry with them the power to make war against another nation. It's the power to send young men and young women onto the front lines of a battle and say, we're going to sacrifice your life for the sake of our nation. It's martial power. It was Israel's power. It was the Philistines' power. There's personal power in the story. Goliath has personal power. He went down to the valley floor every morning, every night for 40 days, and he defied the armies of the God of Israel. He defied them, and they were terrified of him. Why? Because he had personal power. But you don't have to be big to have personal power. If you're winsome, you may have personal power. If you have the gift of woo, you might have personal power. Personal power, like any power, may be used for good or may be used for evil. Personal power is sometimes exercised with arrogance. Sometimes it's exercised with humility. Sometimes it's exercised in bitterness. Sometimes it's exercised in sweetness. Sometimes it's exercised for evil. Sometimes it's exercised for good. It's personal power. There's also tribal power in the story. Jesse's family has tribal power. Jesse has legitimate authority, power to send his sons into the battle. He can say to Eliab and his two brothers, the, two, the three oldest sons, he can say, you're going to go out to battle. Now I imagine his sons are like, yeah, we're going to go out to battle. But it was dad who made that decision because he had tribal power. And then with the siblings, you, ha- you see how tribal power goes awry. Because when David gets out there to do what his dad asked him to do, what does his big brother say? What are you doing here, punk? I'm, what are you doing? You just came to see the battle. Don't give us that Jesus thing. <laughs> and it's with siblings that you see tribal power go off the rails so often. And there are all kinds of power that we lean on, all kinds of powers that we cling to these days. There's political power, economic power, social power, cultural power, family power. There are all kinds of powers that we hold on to in this world. And we tend to grasp them. We tend to cling to them and hold on to them. Human beings cling to power like lint on black shirts. Power, clinging to power, will hide our God from us. If you cling to power in your life, whatever kind of power it is you're clinging to, it will conceal God in your life. It will conceal God from your view. See, David said, when this whole thing goes down, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Not because the Israelites defeated the Philistines. Not because David defeated Goliath. But because it happened in a way that it was not by might, not by power, but by God's Spirit. When we cling to power, we hide God. 
When we hold on to power in our lives, whether it's our power or whether it's my group's power, my tribe's power, when we hold on to power, we hide God in our lives. David went out to the battlefield, the battle line, and all he saw when he looked around was human power. That's what he saw that was off-center because he looked at it and he said, it's all, it's all about human power. The Philistines are all about human power. The Israelites are all about human power. That's why they're so confident and that's why they're so afraid. But human power is always limited. And when we cling to human power, we miss God's spirit. When we cling to power, the world is blinded to our God. We want to live our lives in a way that the the world sees God through us. But when we're grasping for power, political, economic, personal, whatever it is, when we grasp for power, we're hiding God from the eyes of the world. When we cling to power, the world is blinded to our God. But when we surrender power, the world is able to meet our God through us. When we surrender power, the world and we are able to meet our God through us. And that's the story of David and Goliath. Jesus, I pray for us today that we would grasp your story and we would grasp your heart, Lord, because you've expressed your heart so clearly in the story. You've told us, Lord, that it's not about might. It's not about power, which we cling to. It's about being connected to your spirit. It's about knowing your heart. It's about having a faith-filled relationship with you. So, Lord, I pray for us today. May we give up power. May we surrender power all around us. May we surrender our pursuit of it so that we can live by your spirit so that we and everyone around us would know you and learn to trust you. Lord, thank you. We come in the name of Jesus for these things. Amen.